Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers by Conscious Discipline. I'm Latoria Marcellus. I am a educator and mom. And my name is Amy Spidell, and I've been a Conscious Discipline Master Instructor for almost 20 years now. Um, and I'm also a mom, and I've added grandmother to that as well. Wonderful. And together, we're here to discuss trends and events in education and how Conscious Discipline impacts every aspect of what we do. For those of you new to Conscious Discipline, Conscious Discipline is an adult-first, transformational, trauma-responsive approach to self-regulation that integrates social and emotional learning, equitable school cultures, theory and application, research, and brain-based discipline practices. And that is a mouthful. Basically, what it's saying is, this is all about you. So this is about the adult first and how we learn how to manage us so that we really, truly do have the tools to pass on to the children that we love. Today, we are so excited to talk to Tabitha Rossbroy. She is the 2020 National Teacher of the Year, and she is going to be sharing with us the things that she saw, the things that she heard, what she experienced when she began a preschool inside of a local nursing home in Kansas. We're also going to get an opportunity to talk to her a little bit about what play means as we grow older. And not only, one of the things that's so exciting about this is not only was she the 2020 National Teacher, but she was the very first ever Early Childhood National Teacher of the Year. And I just got to say, when I mention that to some of the groups that I work with, they know her. They know her name. And they just champion around her because, man, to just be honored for the true brain builders that you are when you are working with little ones is, is just the affirmation that we need right now in our society. No wonder she's so good at play. <laughs> and, you know, I can't wait to hear what she has to say about play because so many of us need to just add it to our to-do list of things to do every day. Maybe if we did, we wouldn't be so crotchety all the time. Yes, exactly. Can you imagine how business meetings would go if they could just, you know, like stand up and just do a little go noodle? (laughs) (laughs) Some little song. I mean, everybody, you know, you just have to have the after work party. But what if we did it before the business meeting? I mean, maybe it would just, you know, like lighten everybody up a little bit. Oh, man. Well, you know, I'm sure that Tabitha has some great ideas that she's going to share with all of us. So let's welcome Tabitha to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Welcome, Tabitha. Oh, thanks, Latoria. How are you today? I am really wonderful. It is a beautiful day in Kansas. Oh, I'm glad that it's a beautiful day. We pro- we finally have some sunshine here in Ohio. It's been kind of cold and dreary. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> but, we're ready. <laughs> but, you know, I like to think that you're bringing the sunshine to us today. <laughs> and I am so excited to talk to you um, just because you're awesome. But so because you have some great things to talk with us about today, starting with you are the teacher of the year, like national teacher of the year. You're a pre-K teacher. This is like stuff that's unheard of. And we have you here all to ourselves today. So tell us a little bit about what you do. 
So I have been teaching preschool for oh the last 13 or so years. I like to say lucky 13, rounding out that lucky 13 year in education. And I have taught in a variety of settings, you know, from Head Start uh, to center-based child cares to public school pre-K. I've done some infant and toddler services on the side for zero to three-year-olds. I also have recently done something very exciting, which is help develop a preschool inside of a nursing home in Winfield, Kansas. Mm. So the little ones get to mingle with those who have a little more time, you know, have had a little more time here on this earth. What was that like being in that environment? You know, you you think about how much joy that might bring, right? Like little little from four to 104 is what we always said. Our classroom was four to 104. And that was quite serious. Uh, we had someone um, who had reached that incredible age helping and volunteering in our classroom. But if you think about how much joy that might bring in your imagination and then multiply that by a hundred, that's what that was like. You know, every day waking up, there were challenges, definitely, but everyone involved with the program was was so joyful just because of those incredible connections we were able to make between the generations, those involved and those who got to witness it. So how did you see that actually happening? Um, I know that I've heard you talk a little bit about particular situations with kids and adults, but it would just be so great to get a little picture of that. Like, what was an interaction that you just fluttered your heart? Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember one interaction specifically. There was a grandpa. We called all of our the residents who lived there grandma and grandpa. You know, Grandpa Joe, Grandma Sue. Um, one very particular liked to be called grandmother um, and would remind us of that. But the kids knew. We had a grandpa who was very, very sick. And, you know, he was he was getting older, not sick in a contagious way, but just, you know, getting older. Um, he had dementia. He had some health ailments. And he made sure to come out of his room before he had never come out of his room. Really, he was kind of like bound to his room, depressed every single time he heard the kids or heard that the kids were going to be in a spot. He would come and find us. Right. There was not a time that we were outside of our room that this grandpa was not there. And I can remember one time it was the end of the day end of the day for my kids, nap time for many of the grandmas and grandpas. And he had fallen asleep in the chair um, out in the lobby, right? In, in the nursing home side. And we went to say goodbye to all the grandmas and grandpas like we did every single day. And he was asleep. And without me telling the kids, they whispered and tiptoed around him. And while we were walking by, one little boy went and put his hand on grandpa's cheek and gave him a silent oh, wow. connection and little bit of love, said nothing, and then left and walked away with the rest of the line. And I just thought, look how we're impacting these students' hearts and their 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 level of empathy and the way that they see others who are different than them and older than them and have differing abilities. And look what they're learning just through this experience. Mm-hmm. What a picture of compassion. Uh, You know, I do wonder, though, uh, one of the things that came up with uh, me and another uh, program that was doing this is how do your families respond to the possibility of introducing children to loss in that configuration? Mm -hmm. You know, 
loss is something that I learned through conscious discipline is is can be a really big feeling no matter no matter the level that we as adults view loss for children right I can remember Jill Moley talking once about when you take a teddy bear from a child how, how big that feels to them this this level of loss and I thought before we opened this program and when we are pitching it to the community, this is going to be something that I have to address, right? And have to be ready for. And I am just so fortunate that through the practice of conscious discipline, we are able to talk to kids about those big feelings. You know, we don't even have to name, you know, loss as one of our feeling buddies or or what we do in the beginning, but we talk about fear and we talk about happiness and we talk about sadness and what that feels like in our body. And because we have that base level knowledge of what those feelings are, when we dealt with loss in the nursing home, we were so much more equipped to help students regulate the big feelings that come along with loss. And so most of my students knew, you know, I think we were pretty particular um, about using appropriate language and not confusing them with saying things like, you know, somebody passed away or they passed on. Cause I've always found that kind of confusing um, for, mm-hmm, for kids for sure. and, and to, to, yeah, to tell them that they died. And that meant that we wouldn't see them anymore, but it also meant that they weren't hurting anymore. Um, and we, it was another tool to teach compassion for someone who, who wasn't suffering from their ailments. But we also talked about how much that hurt when we lose someone. Um, but the way that we can deal with that is by remembering them. And so when we remember someone, we might feel happy, but we also might feel sad. And that's okay to carry that feeling around with us because having a sad feeling is okay. Having a happy feeling, having having a frustrated feeling, those are all okay. And my students knew that. And because they knew that and they had practiced it in other situations, they were so much better equipped to handle the big emotion of loss. You know, Tabitha, I have a seven-year-old and we experienced a big um, loss. My aunt passed away in September and um, she was very close with Sean. She would take him, you know, their spot was roosters. That's a chicken place here. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, so they go and get their little meals and, you know, have their dates. And she passed away um, after like a, a short bout with cancer. So we really weren't expecting it to happen that way. And I called Dr. Bailey and I asked her, well, you know, what should I do? Do I take him to the funeral? What What do I do with this? And she said, you know, this is going to be a moment for you as a mom to be able to help him through it. So when it's someone who's like your parents and you don't have that space to be able to help, at least he's had an opportunity to be able to go through this with a little bit of coaching mm-hmm. from you when you have the capacity to do so. So just knowing that these little people We're going to school every day and learning about those big feelings and what it's like to, you know, tackle it and not have to pretend or just say, you know, oh, they went on vacation. You know, that's a that is such a big deal that that's something that you built into your everyday interactions with little people so that they can understand it and express it and be okay with it. You know, uh, my aunt's birthday was on the 11th of this month. And Sean just looked at me and he goes, well, you know, Aunt Teresa won't be here, but maybe we can take flowers and put them on her grave. Mm -hmm. And if we hadn't talked about feelings and how it's okay to be sad, 
you know, or it's okay to be, you know, afraid because you don't know what's what's happening um, or what's going, you know, what happens when you die. We don't have the, you know, exact answer because nobody's mm-hmm. come back to decide to tell us, <laughs> you know, but just knowing that you had a classroom of children who at the tender ages of, you know, like three and four are already ready to have those conversations and not be strained. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. a wonderful feeling for me just to know that they're already prepared to do that. Mm. Wow. Yes, Latoria. Yeah. And it's like, <clears throat> you know, th- what you mentioned sort of coaching him through that loss, that's that co-regulation piece, right? I, as an adult, I didn't have a great experience around loss when I was younger. And even as adult, it's something that I, that I struggle with. Right. And I fear yeah. deeply. I fear losing those that I love, but you know, I had a conversation actually with with Amy this summer that really clarified it for me in my mind is that I am helping to heal this in the children, mm-hmm. this idea uh, of coping with loss and coping with grief and having our feelings and being okay with that. But I'm also healing it within myself mm-hmm. a, as I coach these kids. And so even though, you know, nobody knew back mm-hmm. when I was a child how to do this, like it was all avoidance, right? Protect mm-hmm. Tabitha from the loss. Or, and then you just become an adult and you sink or swim with it. But now I get the opportunity too. So, you know, I, I, I'm touched by the learning of these kids as well. It's so interesting, too, how we talk so much in conscious discipline about um, self-regulation and all those kind of pieces, but really being able to see the emotions bubble up and be able to know that they're there to help, not to Mm -hmm. throw you off base. Such a different look to it. Uh Mm -hmm. Like, this gives me information. You know, I remember the first time I heard that, like, oh, it's, it's okay to be sad because this is a helpful thing, right? This is a tool that I have. It's something my body naturally knows what to do. Now what I do with it after that, you know, is important. But that's the first step. It's okay to feel sad. That means you miss someone. That means you loved them. That means you mm-hmm. cared about them. That means that you're human. And we celebrate that, right? Even even when it's scary, we celebrate that. And it and it's a burden off of the adult because you don't have to run to the bathroom to hide that you're crying. Yes, you know, yes. you don't have to pretend that yes. there's something in your eye. You can just say, you know, like when Sean would come over to me and I would be crying, he'd put his little hand on my back and rub my back. And I tell him, you know, I'll be all right, buddy. I'm just sad right now. You know, but that's just a feeling. You know, it comes and it goes. And now I hear him talking like that. You know, he mm-hmm. he doesn't try to hide his face when he's crying. He might have some tears. He'll go get some tissues and he'll just say, you know, I was just sad for a little while because I, you know, I thought about Aunt Teresa or, or, or whatever it may be. But for me, you know, I'm like, it's great for him, but it was awesome for me because when I had smaller nieces yes. and someone passed away, I was trying to hide it, you know, wipe my right. tears real quick. <laughs> sniff it up, you know, and be tough. And now it's like such a relief to be able to just sit at the kitchen table, have my moment and then finish eating my broccoli, you know, so (laughs) it's, it's really freeing. I think one of the things that strikes me in all of this is something that I've recognized around this entire country, because when we talk about emotions and the fact that they bubble up without our permission, one of the things that I've heard from everybody and in particular women is when I say to them, where do women tend to go when they have a big feeling, especially a sad one, and they're in a public space, and they all say the bathroom, 
which is just fascinating to me <laughs> that we, nobody yeah. tells us that. Nobody says, go to the stall and sit in a bathroom stall and cry your eyes out and then try to look normal when you step back into that uh, configuration of people. It's so amazing. And so, Tabitha, I think what's so amazing about this is when you give people an opportunity to have these big feelings, it's so much more than just you're combining these age groups. You're letting them have the full flow of the happiness, the delight, and then within that delight, the loss. And it's not just for the kids. What I love about what you did was it also changed how parents looked at how they were going to walk, just like what you said, Latoria, that it changes how you walk through things when you're not, when you're not trying to avoid embarrassing somebody else or making someone else feel sad. All of those things that we have as stories in our head of don't fall apart in front of anybody instead of, you know what, everybody can handle this and we can walk through it because it's the most normal thing that we experience is the emotions that bubble up in the circumstance that we're in. So I just, you know, bravo. Thank you. You know, I totally agree, Amy. I think that it, you know, was evident in other ways too. Loss was a huge piece of it. And you would have never guessed, right? Like the, the sadness that we were also carrying because the joy, you know, was also so evident, right? Like the kids were able to balance those feelings both and remember with joy and remember with grief sometimes. And that was okay. But it was just, you know, the time that I spent in that program and and what fuels me to continue to plant classrooms like these is this idea that it's affecting so many areas of my students' lives and the lives of their families. Families are seeing the impact that connections with others make in a deep and profound way. And they are seeing the importance of building strong family units and community support. You know, these kids are going to leave my classroom. I always used to worry. I used to really stress. These kids are going to leave my classroom one day. And and I don't know what their parents will do. And I don't know what their next teacher will do. You know, I, I don't know where they're going. And especially being in a bigger, bigger school district now. But this class I was less worried about, you know, these classes I was less worried about because they had so many opportunities to build connections with other people who weren't just the three familiar adults they saw every day. Wow. Now, you you mentioned connections. And one of the things about connections is making sure you have some type of playful situation with children um, or people in general. So I am really curious to know what was play looking like at the site that you were at? What what experience did you have? Oh my goodness. You know, I thought it was going to be so much harder to get volunteers and to, to convince people to come into the classroom um, that maybe hadn't had their own kids in 50, 60 years. You know, maybe their grandkids were even older. But I think my first volunteer meeting, there were about 40 people. Wow. Uh, you know, we, we put them through like a volunteer training that was, you know, pretty, pretty easy. But it was just kind of like the works of what goes on in a preschool classroom. What can you expect? What are our liabilities here? And the first day of school, I thought, OK, people will come at their assigned times. The first day of school that we were there, I got there at 6 a.m. because I just, you know, need to get ahead of the day. There were two grandparents waiting for me in the hallway. 6 a.m. They were so excited to get in there with the kids. And that was the level of excitement that they brought into our classrooms. So 
I always used to joke that um, I was sort of overthrown by the grandparents when when a child said to me one day i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna invite grandpa steve to my birthday party and didn't invention yeah. it didn't in, didn't mention inviting me you know like i was like, i should have been offended but 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 i was not at all because that is the excitement that they they mm-hmm. brought into the classroom and when they came in our play just came alive and you know not only our play but then i got to work with smaller groups of students right on on, mm-hmm. on individual skills and goals that we had and that was more fruitful but you know when i think about what their play looked like smaller groups for sure um depending on how many grandmas and grandpas were in the classroom at the time i usually during my my like specific assigned times of play there were four additional adults in the classroom so i had someone an adult in every center in my classroom and this made intentional facilitated play look so different i had questions posted that grandmas and grandpas could ask if they needed to reference Mm. like some of the things that we were that we were working on or some of the language like conscious discipline language we were using um to comment on play and and to to build curiosity and to help you know deal with conflict between friends and I tell you what these kids were so regulated um, by the end of every year because they had had so much experience and an adult there to to guide them through it right to be sort of a support when they needed it at, at all times which I was not able to give before but through all that like right through the success what I also saw was those four elements that we talk about being given to them more than I could do on my own. Because, you know, one um, adult, even with help in 16 kids, it's not enough. The eye contact, the playfulness, uh, the physical touch and the presence given to them through this community partnership with the nursing home was just beautiful. And you could tell, you could tell in the way that my kids behaved after that, when we had to get to, um, you know, some more direct instruction, you could tell by the way they acted when we saw people out in the community or in the hallways that they were well-connected and they were well-loved. Oh, Tabitha, I, you know, one (laughs) of the things that is so frustrating is we talk as trainers, even of you go into a training uh, with early childhood teachers and you've got to get them up like every, Mm. you know, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And when you go into trainings with, um, you know, even uh, elementary school teachers, it, 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 ebbs a little bit, but it's still there. By the time you get to middle school and high school, it's like, we have to stand. (laughs) And and yet, I I mean, I think the thing that surprises me about that is when they have some time to themselves, they're kicking it out of the park. So how is it that we really give that sense of um, play is not Uh, just doing uh, little finger plays or marching around the room to, uh, you know, a song. What, what do you, what do you see as the play content that mattered because they were playing with adults and adults were thriving. So clearly if adults can thrive in play, where, what's the thought about why it cuts out so quickly? Like what's your, how do you address that? You know, with the the play that the grandmas and grandpas, you know, got involved in was not always initiated by the kids, right? It, it was them coming to and having their own ideas about what play looked like. You know, sometimes that could be scenarios that they had done with their own children or their own grandchildren. 
But sometimes it was just, you know, things in the moment, you know, these little moments that we don't even know or play. Just for instance, I had a grandpa who would always pretend to crack an egg on the kids' heads. He had no egg. He was, <laughs> it was just something that he would do all the time. He would like, yeah crack an egg and be like oh I cracked an egg on your head you know and it was just like this silly and they would howl with laughter and it just reminded me of the times with my own friends where where have I learned the most about the people that I love where are the times that I have enjoyed Mm. myself the most they are the moments where I am doubled over with laughter you know and I always describe it as this this way where you you know when you're laughing so hard that there's no sound coming out? And yes. it, you know, there are just like tears rolling down your, your cheeks. Your stomach hurts. Yes, your stomach hurts, your jaw hurts. There's like those core memories that we, we're, they're so popular lately to talk about being created at those times. And I think we talk about core memories in a way because it actually is changing our brain, right? It is changing our brain and that's why we remember it. And so if I want kids and I want adults to remember something, needs to be playful. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is how I cement learning in their brain, whether that, that be about history or whether that be about math or whether that be about social emotional skills, there has to be an element of playfulness. And that need does not stop when we turn five. Okay. We all know that our brains are not fully developed until we're around 24 years old. And even after that play is so good for us, you know, it it decreases worry. It decreases stress. Mm -hmm. It allows us to build relationships with one another. It, it, It allows us to think creatively and come up with solutions that we might not have seen before for really big problems. It is something that we just have to keep advocating for. And I think our littlest learners can show us that it's something that is worth investing our time in. Mm. I love how, you know, when you say, when I was talking about how um, tears come without our bidding them to come, um, and they're the most honest thing we produce in our life, I think that a belly laugh is also (laughs) that same kind of thing. I, when I've had moments where I wasn't even expecting to laugh at something, and it just was like the surprise of it. (laughs) um, Oh, my gosh, it just it just fills your soul with, uh, with warmth. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's big. That's big. So why don't teachers you know, I, have time for it? <laughs> well, I could give you a list of reasons why teachers don't have time for it, but yeah. what I really think it comes down to is the pressure put on us from people who are not working with kids every day. Bingo. And Bingo. so I think that's why, yeah. yes. And that's why we as educators have a responsibility to not only educate, but to advocate. And so we are the people that this matters most to. We are the conduits for everything that comes from above and from the legislators and from our administrators. We have to deliver that to our kids. So we absolutely need to be the ones advocating for what is most developmentally appropriate and what is best. And that means sometimes talking about stuff that that's uncomfortable. And that means sometimes raising your voice when, when it feels scary and it means sharing what you know is best just because you are a classroom teacher or a childcare provider or, or work in a daycare. That does not mean that you do not know what is most important for kids. You're the one that should be making decisions and people should be listening to you. Yep. Yep. You, you are, one of the biggest like advocates for preschool teachers out 
right now who has a national stage to be able to go out and say, hey, look, I'm over here. Listen to me. This is what you need to know. So could you share with our audience some of the things that you're out there advocating right now? Okay. Yeah. You know, for sure, always intergenerational learning and community partnerships are sort of at the forefront of what I do. I'm also really advocating for higher teacher and child care provider and early childhood educator pay um, yes. for anybody who is involved in <laughs> yes, yes, yes. but doesn't get the same <laughs> respect as our K through 12 counterparts. I'm also a huge advocate for making social emotional learning a part of the fabric of our classrooms, not just a, you know, a a 10 minute lesson that we deliver every day to check off a box, but part of really an investment that we make in ourselves and in our students. And in addition to that, I'm really advocating for family engagement. You know, I'm a part of a fellowship right now um, that is, you know, really trying to figure out how we can help children and families in Kansas, not just right now, but like really, really thinking forward. And it's called Kansas Future Fellows. A big thing that's happening that I see is the severing of the relationship between schools and families. And that has become worse in the last few years. And I think if we imagine what that's going to look like, if we continue down this path, it's very scary. And I don't mean very scary in 20 years. I mean, very scary in five years. And so I think schools need to be a hub for community and for building relationships and connections with one another. It needs to, they need to be places of trust uh, and involvement. And we have to do that, not by dividing ourselves, but by working together. You are so right. And it's, it's really unfortunate that some of the early experiences that parents had as children have made them disconnect from schools. They don't want to go. You know, they don't feel welcome. They don't feel like it's a safe space for them to be able to come in and sit in the classroom. And now with COVID, they don't even have that option of sitting in there anymore. You know, so one of the things I know that we try to do is we have Zoom meetings with our teacher just so we can see her face and get to know her personality and she can get to know ours. And it's kind of funny, you know, we bothered her so much when it came time for parent teacher conference. She was like, Mrs. Marcellus, you guys don't need to come. <laughs> I just talked to you last week, you know, <laughs> but, you know? but um, if, if you had the opportunity to talk to teachers who are in the classroom and, and you're talking to them about how to make this connection with families so that you can have that type of um, camaraderie when it comes to this is our child. How can we help them grow? What advice do you give them to be able to do that right now when you can't have face-to-face contact in many cases and you know you don't even see them at drop-off? So what would you suggest that listeners do in order to make connections with families? You know, I think one of the biggest things that we have to think about is that our relationships don't have to be transactional. Mm. Uh, I think that we say, well, I did this, so the families need to do that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like I came this far, so I need the families to come as far as I did. And I think that when we are when we're thinking about what equity truly is and and we're thinking about um, what empathy truly is really too, Mm -hmm. is that everybody can give what they can. 
right? And everybody gets what they need. So some families, just like some kids, need a little more than what we would generally expect to give a family. I think we need to give ourselves permission to do that. And the way that that we humanize families um, is to connect with them, right? And I and I say this over and over, but you know, when I was Kansas Teacher of the Year, that was the word that my team had. We could not stop focusing on connection because it was so important in every areas of our lives. So the thing that you can do is talk to your families, be real with your families, like be okay and show them that you make mistakes sometimes and make, you know, make these little, little deposits all the time into that relationship so that when you have to talk about something hard, it doesn't feel so difficult because you already have a really solid foundation Mm -hmm. and they think, you know what? I trust this person. I've heard from them a lot. I don't only hear from them when my kid is doing something wrong at school. I think that that's really foundational. And so even in those grade levels, like I know this is a challenge for secondary teachers who see a hundred or more students a day sometimes, you know, whereas elementary, it's a little easier when we have like 15 to 30 students. I think that you need to create some kind of really intentional schedule for yourself, a log, not that you're accountable to anyone but yourself for Mm -hmm. this, but just have I made positive contact with every student and every family, you know, in elementary, I would say once a week high school, maybe once a month. Um, It can be really small, a phone call, an email, a text. I find parents are very responsive to text messages, just letting them know something really great that their child is doing and letting them know that you see their child. And that's going to be the bridge um, that we need to create positive relationships with families. I love too how you really brought in all the different ways that that can happen. And sometimes we get a little bit stagnant about they're not coming to, like you said, LaToria, uh, the teacher meetings and all that kind of stuff, or they're not or responding. The dinner. <laughs> yeah, or the spaghetti dinner <laughs> or the fundraiser. Yeah, they, you know, they they never participate and they never, I know even when I do uh, uh, parent meetings in a school, sometimes, especially, this is especially in elementary, and they'll say, well, the parents that should have been here weren't. And I think mm-hmm. the fact that you think there are parents that should be here is why they won't come. Because it feels like they're being targeted instead of supported. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's such a different way of looking. I love what you said about not being contractional. I think that's really such an important piece to think. I'm, I'm doing this because it matters for the child that we're both attempting to work with rather than, and attempting to support rather than if I'm helping them here, you better shift what you're doing over here. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just going to add a little piece that I think is, I want to, I want to kind of get both of your takes on this um, while we're on the air, but that idea of when they come to school, um, we sometimes say, if they say to us, well, this is what I do at home, we tend to have that feeling of, well, you shouldn't be doing it at home. Like you should be going mm-hmm. to bed a little bit earlier, or you should eat at the table. Instead of saying just a little switch that allows us to stay more connected with their families would be, and it's different at school. This is how we do it at school. So there doesn't have to be a judgment when, uh, when you see that what's, what's um, important for school, it doesn't mean that they have to disregard what their family does. It creates this idea that children have to choose a loyalty rather than both can live in 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 that balance so what do you what do you think like have you seen that or felt it yeah Latoria it's a 
when when the parent says, you know, that the bedtime is 9.30 or 10 o'clock, it's simple as, tell me more about that. Because there mm-hmm. might be a reason why. Maybe they don't get off, you know, work until a certain time and they have to pick them up from the babysitter's house. Oh, you know, so it's not right. because they're sitting there playing Nintendo Switch. You know, there <laughs> there could be something else under there. And if you only ask, you can help. You know, there might be something that you can do or something that you can offer to help make that load a little bit lighter. And it's being curious instead of judging it, where that it like opens you up to be able to find out what's actually going on. And one of the things that I I hope and I pray that teachers um, think about and really realize is that you learn most about your students from their families. Mm -hmm. Families are a wealth of knowledge and we have to make sure that we take away what we feel is important or what we feel a standard is and find out what's important to that family. That's when you start to make real connections, when you appreciate and you value what's going on in those individual homes and you're not trying to make those homes like your home. It's a such a big difference. Wow. And it's the curiosity, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. It's just yeah. asking, you know, well, tell me more. Yeah. You know, yeah. huh. That's interesting. You know, uh huh. It's always, you know, just, hmm. I just was wondering, you know, it's as simple yeah. as that. Well, you know, well, why is that? You know, and it doesn't have to be with judgment. It can just be a, mm-hmm. I really wanted to know because it's probably a good story behind it. You know, just hearing from both of you about this, I have kind of one more thing I want to say before we close up. And it's, I read this quote somewhere and I don't know who to attribute it to, but I read it years ago and I think about it a lot when I think about my relationship with students, my relationship with families and the relationships in my own life. And it was something like, the sun never says to the moon, you owe me. And look at a relationship and love like that. It lights up the whole sky. And I think that that's something we can think of ourselves doing when when we connect with families in a loving way that sees the best in them and that honors um, their home culture in the same way that we honor our school culture. We can light up the whole sky. We are so glad that you joined us today, Tabitha. I mean, talking about lighting up the whole sky, that's exactly what you did with us today with reminding us how important it is to have connections and just to play and enjoy life and enjoy moments. I'm very, very grateful that I had the opportunity to talk to you today. So agree. And it also just feels like when we look at the world and we think so many things are falling apart or so many things aren't making sense, what makes complete sense is that someone in the early childhood arena has been able to have a national voice in leading the way because we've all known that what we do with our little ones makes the biggest difference in our world. And you now have that opportunity to give that message to everyone in this country. It is just amazing. And I don't believe that it's a mistake. I think it was intended (laughs) to be. Yeah, that's right. 
Oh, thank you both so much for having me. This is, I, I could talk to you both all day. Um, I hope, I hope that we get to do it again soon. Definitely. I'm in. <laughs> so, wow, so much to process right now. Hearing about how these little ones walked through loss and the depth that that brought, not just to the children, but to the adults in those children's lives. Wow. It really is something to process in our own experience. And Latoria, what you mentioned even about your own experience is just it's, I think that it's such a connection to all of us. Uh, so just, you know, just, it was just really thoughtful to bring that up and, and weave that in. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody that's listening, they'll just know that it's okay when you muck things up. It's okay when you, you know, to be able to find your way through all of this, because we're all figuring it out together. The thing that really stood out to me the most was for me just knowing that all of these little children are going to be walking around and they're already primed to not hide how they're feeling. As you know, as as I go through, you know, I'm still going through all of this thing, these things with my aunt and whatnot, just knowing that there's going to be a whole class of little children who are able to talk about it just like Sean did. It it just does my heart. It does my heart good today, you know? And, and another thing that really stuck out to me is when, when we get older, we do stop playing. We, you know, we do need to put it on our to-do list to remember to have some fun in this life that we have. It's not supposed to just be, you know, goal setting and objectives every day. Exactly. Stop in some puddles. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it's one of the greatest things about being around young children is that you get to experience the world in such with such fresh eyes again and and then reignite some of those memories perhaps that you've had before. Uh, and just how those two things can be in the same conversation, mm-hmm. loss and joy, loss and joy, you know, just the, 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 the depths that we go to in both of those, the immense, um, you know, just feelings that we get from either the joy that we have in our world or the loss and how closely linked they are. I think that's the other thing that really resonated with me is that, uh, we need both of those things in our lives to really feel completely whole. Mm-hmm. And I know there's probably a lot of preschool teachers who are out there who feel a little more whole today, you know, just because their their profession has been acknowledged on a national level. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. How many times they've been looked over. Yeah, yeah. And so often we hear from early childhood educators that others think that they're just these people who are just watching children and making sure that they don't, you know, make any missteps or babysitting uh, instead of, and I hope everybody gets this definition uh, for the future, that they really are the brain builders for our future. So uh, it is a giant job. And certainly, uh, Tabitha has sparked a lot of interest in how that how that job does its magic in in children's mm-hmm. lives. I, I just have to add this last piece too because uh, when Tabitha said about how that little boy walked past the grandpa who had fallen asleep, 
-hmm. And they were so careful and tiptoeing past him not to wake him. Think about how many parents or even grandparents walk past their sleeping preschoolers. And just to think that it's, it, you're absolutely right. It's both needing the same things and able to give the same things, needing connection and providing connection. And now it's time for a question from one of our listeners. We have our burning question today from Asher in Austin, Texas, and it says, how is it that we can connect and help each child when there's only one of me and so many of them? Oh, wow. Asher, you've hit like the question of the century, I think, especially uh, in our early childhood. So many teachers would have that same question. And it is challenging, especially when we look at uh, what research shows from an anthropological point of view, we're supposed to be four adults to one child. So there's supposed to be a lot of um, adult bodies to help with all the questions and all the care. So no wonder when we get them into our early childhood settings, it can feel overwhelming because their needs never stop, right? So one of the things that I think uh, really Tabitha touched on in such a beautiful way is when you add in those other human beings who can't wait to get a hug from those kids who want them to be on their lap, um, every early childhood teacher knows that when you go home, you don't want anybody touching you, right? <laughs> you just feel like <laughs> touched all day. Uh, so it is, uh, it is really cool when we think about if we went more intergenerational, how amazing would that be? So just, uh, you know, and Latoria, I'm sure you've experienced this even with uh, your family of just when you walk into a room having worked in early childhood, um, that you're one of those people that people look to to be supportive, even if you're not the teacher. Haven't you had that experience as well? Definitely, especially with having a lot of nieces and nephews, you know, you're you're always getting pulled in several directions. And um, unfortunately, by the time you get home, sometimes you don't have any gas left in the tank to really, you know, take care of it. And what I found to be helpful is when you're able to give them the tools to start to help each other. So, Amy, what have you used um, like when you were in the classroom, what did you use to help children be able to get those skills so that they would be able to help out in the classroom since there was only one of you and a million of them? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're really, I mean, you're cloning yourself, right? It's like, right, I'll do this right. with you. And then how about the two of you do it together? <laughs> that's right. uh, so that um, certainly that's where the I love you rituals come in in such a big way that mm. they start with us modeling them as adult to child, but then they become the activities child to child. And Wow, to see them have that same look of compassion and um, and just joy with each other is amazing. So you can start that at the age of two, uh, just in mm. very simple ways. Those I love you rituals are really geared towards them being able to have that eye contact, touch, presence in a playful situation in really meaningful ways. Uh, and the other one that we have in conscious discipline is baby doll circle time. So have you um, have you seen that happen in some of the rooms and, and work that you've done, LaToya? I have seen um, the, the little ones using the baby dolls during baby doll circle time. And it's, it's yeah. kind of like they're just practicing what they've done, you know, with their teacher. 
Exactly. So the whole idea of mirror neurons is that when you have had this experience, Mm -hmm. then when you do it with even an inanimate object, it's as if you're experiencing it in the same way that you did with that person. So if anyone's ever watched a child uh, pretend to read a storybook to dolls, it's Mm -hmm. that same kind of thing. They don't pretend what they haven't experienced, but what Mm -hmm. they have experienced when they pretend it, their brain is lighting up as if it's actually happening again. Like, how cool is that? So if you do that with each of your kids, even throughout the week, and you have baby doll circle time a couple of times a week, every single child in your classroom is getting that extra dose, that extra hit. So that coupled with interacting with each other really does uh, spread that um, joy around and that connection around in ways that gives them what they need to really become connected, uh, caring human beings. So Asher, if you are interested in having some educational resources that might help you to multiply yourself in a classroom, check the link below and you will see Baby Doll Circle Time with the curriculum that comes with it, as well as our um, collection of I Love You rituals. Well, you are probably wondering what is new with Conscious Discipline? Well, we got some real good celebrations going on. One is that we had this podcast launch. So much work has gone into this, and it's really been a team effort to get it off the ground and get it up and running. So we are celebrating that everyone out there is able to join us today. Another celebration that we have are our summer institutes. We have more summer institutes happening this summer than we ever have before. So we are definitely hoping that we get to see your face this summer and discuss some of these things with you in person. And there's going to be touching this year. Still still sanitizing, definitely sanitizing, but maybe just a little bit more of that connection piece coming back. No more paper paper hands this year. And and you know what, Amy, we actually have another celebration. We just finished Conscious Discipline with Excellence, celebrating the diversity at SEL. It was our first event at an HBCU. So we were definitely excited to be able to be there with some of our new certified instructors who were able to come out and share their brilliance with everyone. And it was really brilliant. And people walked away just so filled with hope and excitement for all that comes next. So just a couple of wish wells as well. And uh, thinking about our beautiful friend, Kim Jackson, and sending out a beautiful wish well to her and all the healing that is happening in, uh, in her life right now. Um, so that she can be back on the trail with us. And also all of those who have gone through this pandemic and are still kind of getting their themselves balanced again. It's, man, just really the grace, the grace, the grace that um, you give yourselves and that we will pour out uh, towards you and knowing that uh, we're, we're just wishing you the very best as you, as you find your balance. And you know how we mentioned that about how everybody's counting down to the end of the school year. Uh, The other part of that is that although that's very exciting and we're wishing you well and having just a knockout fun time as you end the school year, for some of our children in particular, you teachers know that it can feel like a loss as well, that they're going to be missing you. 
So just to hold that intention that as we as we walk through this change in their in their school life and as they walk through the door of that school for some of them for the last time they'll be in that school that we're holding their hearts with you and holding the best wishes for them. We have thoroughly enjoyed our time with you today and we are so looking forward to being able to speak with you again next month. So until then, from our hearts to yours, we wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers featuring Latoria Marcellus and Amy Spidell, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app.